Ah, life's always a matter of perspective, isn't it? Amen. I'm going to drag you down real low in just a minute. Because we get to talk about the history of Israel. And though we've had some high points, it seems like the Bible doesn't really focus in on those. Kind of like us in life. You do a great job at work day after day after day after day. The boss isn't there to praise you. He gives you your paycheck. There's your praise. But you mess up, you hear about it. A lot of that's in the Bible, too. I mean, there are good stories in there. But a lot of it is about how people messed up. We seem to need to learn the hard way. And so the stories of the hard way are in there, hoping we can learn from them and not reproduce. Give you a, a quick overview of where we've been to catch you up to this morning. So if you remember, Israel was one united kingdom. Solomon was the king. But because of the sin of David and Solomon, God split the empire. Two kingdoms. The kingdom in the north is called Israel, and the kingdom in the south is called Judah. But they're both together the children of Israel, so it gets kind of confusing. So the first king of the divided kingdom in the south was Rehoboam. He was evil. First king in the north was Jeroboam. He was evil. But his kingdom lasted a little longer. So you'll notice up on the chart here, after Rehoboam on the left, we have Abijah, or Abaya and Asa. And look how long Asa's kingdom lasts. Now, that was good. You can keep that up. Look at how long it lasts. He lasts through Jeroboam, Nadab, Basha, Ella, Zimri, Omri, Ahab. Well, Nadab through Ahab. So we've got one good king in Judah, while all these bad kings reign in Israel. So Jeroboam's son Nadab becomes king. But he ends up getting killed by the next king, Basha. That's how he became king. He killed him. Basha killed off all the rest of Jeroboam's family, and then his son, Ella, became king, but he got killed by Zimri, the next king. Omri went after Zimri. Zimri killed himself. Omri became the next king. Lovely, lovely story. All this while, Asa, good king, is still reigning in Judah. Omri has a son, Ahab. He's the husband of Jezebel. Still, Asa is king of Judah. But then his son Jehoshaphat becomes king, and he's a good king. And now Ahab is king in Israel. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was a good man, a godly man. But he made some serious mistakes, errors in judgment. He did a couple of stupid things. But he was still a good guy, and I can relate. That's how we all are. We're good people. But sometimes we do some really stupid things. And I don't mean just good, we pay our taxes and are nice to people. I mean, he was godly. But what he ended up doing is allying himself with Ahab, who was wicked, and brought his kingdom into wars and conflict with Israel's kingdom. So whoever they fought, they were like NATO of their day. And then he gave his son in marriage to one of Jezebel's daughters. And that was just stupid. And that caused all sorts of chaos, as you're going to see in the coming weeks. So Ahab goes to Jehoshaphat and says, Hey, I need to go to war. Will you come with me? Here's the story. Ahab asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go fight with me? And Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. In other words, yeah, we're in. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First seek the counsel of the Lord. Okay, so Jehoshaphat, I told you, is a godly guy. He wants to go to war. He says, yeah, we'll go, but first let's inquire and see what God has to say. 
So here's what Ahab does. He brings together the prophets, about 400 of them, and he asks them, shall I go to war or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But he's in Israel. Their prophets aren't real prophets. They're not the prophets of God. They're prophets of idols. And Jehoshaphat has no respect for them at all. You ask all your phony prophets, what, ah, give me a real prophet. Are there any real prophets here? Now, if you look at the text up there, in verse da, 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 6, it says, the Lord will give you victory. Capital L for Lord, but smaller case O-R-D. This could be any Lord. And since they didn't worship the God of Israel, chances are they're not even referring to him. So then Jehoshaphat says, are there any prophets still here of Jehovah, of the Lord? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He says, yeah, yeah, you tell me about your Lord, but what about my God, the real God? Are there any real prophets left in Israel? So the king of Israel said, there is, there's one left, but I hate him. Because he always prophesies bad things about me and never good. You know, I thought on that a little bit. This is a prophet of God. And he says he hates him because of what he says. So who does he really hate? He hates God. Because this guy only speaks on behalf of God. So the fact that he says he hates him really means he hates God. Guess what? There are a lot of people out there that hate Christians. Not as many in this country as you would think, but in other countries, Christians are being killed left and right. You don't hear about it because the media covers it up. Ethnic violence erupted in Africa today. What they mean is a bunch of Muslims went into a Christian village and killed a lot of people, but they just call it ethnic violence. War broke out in such and such a city, Chances are, a lot of it is bad people killing Christians. Happens all the time. Millions of dead people in the last century alone. So who do they really hate? They hate God. That's why when somebody speaks down to you because of your faith, wear it as a badge of honor. They're not hating you. Jesus said as much. They don't hate you. They hate me. That's what Jesus said. I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. 400 of them. Were they all prophesying at once? Probably. These guys were nuts. They probably looked like bedlam. You know, just a bunch of guys saying stuff. Maybe somebody working their way up to the front of the crowd, getting all loud and hysterical, and then working back and somebody else taking their place. One guy, Zedekiah, whips out a pair of iron horns. And he says, with these horns, you will gore to death the Arameans. I can imagine him running around like an animal, you know. It was a show. This is how, you know, people don't get impressed with religion unless it's showy. There's a lot of religions out there with a lot of pomp and circumstance. Now, I'm not saying pomp and circumstance in and of itself is wrong, 
But a lot of people use that as an artificial sign of piety, godliness, and holiness, and it's not. Well, if I can whip out a pair of horns and jump around like an animal, maybe he'll take me a little more seriously. <laughs> but on the positive side, you know, prophets in the Bible, the real prophets, often did amazing things to get people's attention. Object lessons, illustrations. You know, last year we had Randy in here with his bow and arrow. We set up a minefield in here. Sometimes we put up cool stuff just to help visualize. Though, you know, I got it from them. They're the smart guys. There was one prophet in the Bible. He made a little city, a little Jerusalem, laid siege against it to illustrate that this is what was going to happen in the near future. Israel's going to be surrounded by its enemies, and we're going to get dogged. Another prophet, he had to cut off his hair and burn some of it and beat some of it. It was crazy as an object lesson. Another prophet ran around naked because he said, we're going to be captured, and that's what happens in war. People get caught with their pants down and naked people running all over the place. So he took off his clothes and he ran around all over the place telling them this is what's going to happen. These guys were illustrative. <laughs> they really communicated things when they wanted to communicate things. So this guy grabs his iron horns and he says, with these horns you're going to destroy the Arameans. And Aramean. Uh, today that would be a Syrian. S-Y-R-I. Syria, where all the trouble is going on right now and they're other Arabs are thinking about kicking out this Arab leader because of him abusing civil rights. Same place, Damascus. So, with this, you will destroy the Arameans. And all the other prophets prophesied the same thing. Attack, be victorious, they said, for the Lord. And now they're using the God of Israel's name. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. For the Lord will give it into the king's hand. See, they, they were listening. Oh, this other king, he only, okay, we'll talk about that king. Whatever the king wants, that's what we'll do. Don't you hate sycophants? They just say what you want to hear, not necessarily the truth. Oh, if that's the God you worship, that's the God we represent. Yeah, that's the one. So the messenger, in the meantime, while all this nonsense was going on, was sent to get the real prophet, Micaiah. He grabs him and he says, listen, there's 400 prophets there, the king of Israel there, and the king of Judah there, and everybody is saying, all 400, go to war and be victorious. You make sure you say the same thing. Dude, if I was one of your false prophets, maybe I'd just go along with the program. But here's what his response is, like a good man of God. As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. I can imagine now how the messenger feels. Like maybe he's going to get in trouble for bringing this guy with bad... I don't know. But he didn't listen to him. So the king says, tell me nothing but the truth in the name of Jehovah, the name of the Lord. Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each go to his own place in peace. You could hear a pin drop. All 400 of them. If he just didn't imply they were liars, he turned around and said so next. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. All these guys are all lying to you. This guy is brave. He's got some chutzpah. You could die for this. He doesn't care. He gets up in front of the two kings, 400 false prophets, and says, liar, 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 liar. They're all lying to you. They're all wrong. I'm right. You know how that makes you look. Who makes you think you're right? And all these 400 are wrong. How could you possibly write? He doesn't care about that. He just tells the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. So Zedekiah, this is the guy with the horns, 
comes up and smacks him in the face. Okay, so the king hates him. The false prophet smacks him. Ooh, he just smacked a prophet of God. Would not want to be in that man's shoes on Judgment Day. Of course, Judgment Day came early for him. So the king of Israel then ordered, put this man in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. And Micaiah said, yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> that ain't happening. He said, if that happens, God hasn't spoken to me. You all mark my words. So the king of Israel, after hearing this, goes to the king of Judah and says, you know what, how about this? I'll go into battle disguised, but you go in all your royal robes and then they won't come after me. And it, The implication seems to be, well, this guy says I'm going to die in battle, so I'll go in incognito and I'll be fine. Yeah, that's it. God says you're going to die in battle, but you can put on a costume and you'll trick God. You'll, you'll slip right through the loophole there, you know. Oh, where is he? I mean, really? What's this guy thinking? Loopholes. Ah. How many of you can come up with, in your brain right now, a loophole? Maybe you watched a TV commercial, or maybe you sat down with a lawyer and tried to get out of a tax thing you owed, and they found you a loophole or something. I mean, we are a society that seems to be based on loopholes. Sometimes they're great to have, but sometimes what they do is let justice slip through the slipknot. So, you know, I have mixed feelings about loopholes. Some of them I like, some of them I don't. Um, here's a real big one I heard about that I don't like. Um, pornography used to be, technically still is, illegal. And yet it's all over the place. It's at Circle K, it's in the street corners, it's on TV, it's at the movies. Bad stuff, nasty stuff. I'm not talking about Michelangelo's fine art. I'm talking about porn. So if it's illegal, how come nobody prosecutes and how come people get away with it? Because they took it to court and nobody seemed to be able to define what pornography was. So because they couldn't, there's your loophole. Hey, if you can't tell me what it is, I can get away with it. And that was it because, well, is it nudity? Well, Michelangelo painted nudity. Certainly that's not pornography. No. Well, then what is? Now we've got freedom of expression and the Second Amendment, well, whatever amendment deals with the freedom of the press. We've got arts. And so they just let it slip through the loophole. And look what it's done for us. Bad loopholes. It seems to me that in the Bible people look for loopholes too. God's not stupid. <laughs> you can't pull a whammy on God. Well, this guy's trying. I'm going to go to battle dressed up in these funny clothes and maybe I can make it out alive. But I told you, some loopholes are good. There is a loophole that God intentionally put into the Bible. I'll tell you about what it is in just a minute, but here's the law, and then you'll figure out the loophole. The law says, it's in the Bible, the person that sins, the soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. And it's not just physical death, it's spiritual death. It's talking about God's wrath and God's judgment comes upon sin. That's the law. Now, this would be a good place for a loophole. I've got a video clip from an allegory by C.S. Lewis from The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe that illustrates the loophole in a children's story. So uh, let me go kill some lights and go ahead and crank that up and we'll watch it. We should go. 
victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead. The stone table will crack. And even death itself would turn backwards. We sent the news that you were dead. Peter and Evan will have gone to war. We have to help them. We will, dear one. But not alone. Climb on my back. We have far to go. And little time to get there. As you may want to cover your ears. I know most of you already know this story. But for those of you who don't, um, these children go into a magical wardrobe and end up in a different world, a different land, that's ruled by Aslan the lion. But he's not just the king, he's like the god of that place, or the son of the god of that place, who rules that territory. And one of the children ended up betraying him. And the law of the land was his enemy, the wicked witch, gets to have that kid's life because that's the punishment for betrayal, death. And Aslan couldn't say, no, I pardon him. It was the law. And even Aslan had to go with the law that he laid down. So he said, but I'll tell you what, the law requires a life. I'll give you my life instead of his life. And the witch was all, yeah, that would be great. I'd, I'd get the son of the king, I, I mean the son of God. Yeah, I'll take your life any day. So they torture him, they abuse him, and they kill him and sacrifice him on the stone table. But she didn't know the deep magic, the older law. She wasn't familiar with the loophole. And the loophole said when a perfect volunteer will take the place of a treacherous person, in this story, time will go backwards, and so he rose to life again. Obviously, this is a parallel, a parable based on the Bible. It's an allegory. The law says that when we sin against God, we should be destroyed, undone, sent to hell. But there's a loophole. If a perfect volunteer would take our place, then he gets the punishment that we would deserve, and we get the life and the righteousness that he has. So in Jesus, it's not just that our sins are forgiven. We don't just get our sins forgiven. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus on us. It's an amazing thing. He swapped places with us. 
He gave us his righteousness. He took our sin. And that's, by the way, why he died. You can't kill Jesus. He's perfect, and he's the son of God. Sin causes death. He had no sin. He would have never died. But he took all the sin of the world on him, and that's how he ended up dying. But he was perfect, and he's the son of God, and that's why he got up again. Beautiful story, and it all jumped into my mind because this evil guy was looking for a loophole. But we've got to get back to the story. We've got four main players in this story I've shared with you. We've got Jehoshaphat, we've got Ahab, we've got the false prophets, and we've got Micaiah, the true prophet. Jehoshaphat, as I told you, was a good king. But in this story, this is where he failed. This is where he did bad. This is where he did not stand for God. At the beginning, it sounded like it was going to go right. He said, okay, I'll go to war with you, but let me inquire of God first. Great. God says, don't go. So what's Jehoshaphat do? He goes. So in this story, Jehoshaphat did not behave well. He did not stand for God. He disobeyed God and he fought with wicked Ahab. By the way, Ahab died in this story, as I told you. He dressed up funny, but it didn't work. What ended up happening is some random guy just shot a random arrow into the crowd and ended up catching him between the armor. What a coincidence. Ah. But even though he messed up, Jehoshaphat, in this chapter, he was a good guy. Listen to what the Bible says about him in general. Right after this, he's confronted by a prophet, Jehu. Jehu the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, Should you help the wicked and love those that hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Because you went and made an alliance with a wicked king that hates God, you're going to be punished for it. There is, however, some good in you. For you rid the land of the Asherah poles and you've set your heart on seeking God. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the, to the hill country of Ephraim and he turned them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land in each of the fortified cities of Judah. And he told them, consider carefully what you do, because you're not judging for man, but for the Lord, the Lord who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. The king's job was to appoint the big judges. Our president's job is to appoint the big judges. When you vote for president in just a few short months, keep that in mind. Pick somebody who's going to appoint people who share your values. Well, how do I know, Steve? Read up on them. Read up on what they say and read up on what they've done. And make your decision. Oh, I'm going to vote for this guy because I like his position on taxes. That's an issue for sure. But I sure hope that's not your only issue. This guy appointed judges, but he made certain to appoint only good judges, and he warned them to stay good. He gave them these orders, you must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. 
In every case that comes before you from your fellow countrymen who live in the cities, whether bloodshed or other concerns of the law, commands, decrees, or ordinances, you are to warn them not to sin against the Lord. Otherwise, his wrath will come on you and your brothers. Do this, and you will not sin. Jehoshaphat was a good man. He went throughout all the country, stopped bad religion, the idol worship, cut down the Asherah poles, and appointed judges and charged the judges to rule in honesty and integrity in the name of the Lord. Jehoshaphat was a good guy, but not in this story. Ahab was in this story. Jehoshaphat said he wanted to hear from God, but he didn't. Ahab said he didn't want to hear from God. And then he listened and didn't do. So at least he was consistent. He only wanted to hear what... I don't like him because he only says bad things about me. Imagine if we only went to an auto mechanic that told you good news about your car. <laughs> or a doctor. So, doctor says, you know, I'm going to run some tests. And you come back and you say, doctor, how did it go? And the doctor says, great, everything's great. You're going to live to a ripe old age. Don't have to change my diet? Nah. Ice cream and donuts are good for you. How's my blood pressure? Strong. Any sign of cancer? Cancer schmancer. Or would you like the truth? Well, it's funny. We want to hear the doctor say those things. But the reason we went to him in the first place is because we want to hear the truth. We would never go to a doctor who intentionally lied to us. Why go? We'd never go to a mechanic who had intentionally lied to us. Why go? Plus, things will be worse for us if we don't hear the truth. You know, nobody wants to spend $500 to fix their transmission. But it's better than maybe $2,000 if you let that go and everything else goes and so on and so forth. Ahab only wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. Listen to what the New Testament says about people. The time will come when people won't put up with true teaching. Instead, they'll try to satisfy their own longings. They'll gather a large number of teachers around them. The teachers will say what the people want to hear. You've got to be careful going to a Christian bookstore today. You just can't pull any book off that shelf and expect sound teaching. You can't turn on the radio or the TV and just assume you're going to get good teaching. It's sad, but there are stadiums filled with people who say they're there to seek God and worship God who are just hearing what they want to hear. But thankfully, there are still stadiums filling up with people who want to hear from God too. But it's going more and more like this. Dear Larry, it's been a couple months since I've seen you. Deployment here in Afghanistan has been everything they told me it would be. But something amazing happened to me last week. I was just getting ready to peek around a corner, and somebody grabbed my shoulder and said, Don't! And a bullet whizzed by right where my face was. He said, I've never felt this way before, but I just knew God was telling me to grab your shoulder. I found out this man is a lay pastor at his church, and we got to talking. He told me that if I didn't turn from my sins and believe in Jesus, I was going to hell. 
I was offended. But then I realized he just saved my life. We've been talking for the last couple weeks, and I've given my life to Jesus Christ and have gotten baptized. The reason I'm writing is even though you and I used to make fun of these kind of people, I now believe it's true. And I'm fully convinced that if you don't turn from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, you'll go to hell too. Love your friend, Fred. How many of you have written letters, something like that, to loved ones? Let me see your hands. Some of you have. How many of you have ever received a letter? You don't have to put up your hand. <laughs> we don't like to tell people, if you don't turn, you're going to burn. We don't like to say that. That hurts people's feelings, and it sounds so arrogant. Micaiah didn't care how he sounded. He just wanted to tell the truth. You don't have cancer. You're fine. Hey, if you're my friend, tell me the truth. If you really think I'm going to hell, tell me. Because if there's any chance it's possibly right, I want to know. Because I don't want to go there. So Ahab only heard what he wanted to hear, and these 400 false prophets only said what he wanted to hear. Oftentimes in the Bible, you'll see a king do something wrong, and then the whole nation's punished. And you're like, hey, that's not fair. Well, yeah, if that was the whole story, that wouldn't be fair. But that's not the whole story. Listen, an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. This comes from one of the prophets. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the, the priests rule by their own authority or power. And my people love to have it so. So they say what people want to hear, people hear what they want to say, and it's all good. We're following a bunch of blind people, following blind people, and falling into a ditch. The prophet ended up saying, what will you do in the end? This isn't going to end good. Listen to the truth, even when it hurts. Because that's the only chance you got. Jehoshaphat knew that for the most part, but messed up here. Ahab flatly denied that. These prophets fed Ahab and anybody else whatever they wanted to hear. But there was one guy in this story who was willing to stand up for God. Just one. Little old Micaiah dragged in front of this pomp and circumstance assembly with 400 false prophets, and even the messenger before he gets there telling him already what he should say. Pressure? You've never been under pressure like that. He was under the most pressure probably in his life to compromise. It would have been easy and safe. But he wasn't just a guy with an opinion. He was a man on a mission from God. And he had a message to share with the king. Oh, by the way, I didn't read to you the whole story. When he first got there, he messed with the king. He said, oh, yeah, you're going to win. Go fight, go fight, you'll win. And the king went, dang it, I keep telling you, tell me the truth. Okay. And then he told him, you're going to die. And then the king got mad at him. Kai goes up and smacks him, and he throws him in jail. You know? But he was not daunted. He didn't change his words, even though he thought he might die and because he was going to be imprisoned. By the way, I'm sure he wasn't in prison very long. <laughs> King died, everybody goes out. He stood for God. One of the cool things about this story, it's a hidden thing. His name, Micaiah, or Mikiyahu in Hebrew, Mika means who is like. Yah, the end of his name, or Yahu, is a shortened version for the name of the Lord, Jehovah the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D that I've been referring you to. His name is who is like God. 
So he gets dragged up in front of 400 false prophets and a bad king, and he's a testament by his very name, by his very presence. I'm standing here for God. Anybody else like God? Who is like God? And now his story and his name has come down thousands of years later to us, and part of the story applies to us today. Who's like God? Who's willing to stand up for God? Even if it's embarrassing. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it's dangerous. Even if you might lose your job or your membership in a hoity-toity society club. Or even if you might get killed. Who is like God? Is anybody willing to take a stand anymore for God? Now, it's a rhetorical question because I know many of you are. I know that. Maybe about a year or so ago, I read to you a covenant that a popular pastor read before his church. And it's so appropriate, and some of you weren't here, that I'm going to read it again. This is his covenant, and he wanted his church to sign on. He said, today I'm stepping across the line. I'm tired of waffling. I've made my choice. The verdict is in. I'm going God's way. There's no turning back now. I will live the rest of my life serving God's purposes with God's people on God's planet for God's glory. I will use my life to celebrate His presence, cultivate His character, participate in His family, demonstrate His love, and communicate His word. Since my past has been forgiven and I have a purpose for living and a home awaiting in heaven, I refuse to waste any more time or energy on shallow living, petty thinking, trivial talking or thoughtless doing, useless regretting, hurtful resenting, or faithless worrying. Instead, I will magnify God. I will grow to maturity, serve in ministry, and I will fulfill my mission in membership of this church. Because this life is preparation for the next. I will value worship over wealth, we over me, character over comfort, service over status, and people over possessions, position, and pleasures. I know what matters most, and I'll give it all I've got. I'll do the best I can with what I have for Jesus Christ today. I will not be captivated by culture. I will not be manipulated by critics, motivated by praise, frustrated by problems, debilitated by temptation, or intimidated by the devil. I'll keep running my race with my eyes on the goal, not the sidelines, or those running next to me. When time gets tough, I get tired. I will not back up. I will not back off. I will not back down, back out, or backslide. I'll just keep moving forward by God's grace. I am spirit-led. I cannot be bought. I will not be compromised. And I shall not quit until I finish the race. I am a trophy of God's amazing grace. So I will be gracious to everyone, grateful for every day, and generous with everything that God entrusts to me. My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to you I say, however, whenever, wherever, whatever, whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. Wherever you lead me, whatever the cost, I'm ready, anytime, anywhere, anyway, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes.
that shouldn't be surprising to any of us. That should be our contract with God. And I encourage you to make it yours. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. Give us the strength, the passion. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might serve you tirelessly. And when we get tired, that we will press on no matter what, keeping our eyes forward until we finish this race, until we've won the prize. Lord, it's our desire to stand for you. Give us the strength, the courage, and even the opportunity to do so. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.